sun does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Mountaineer Media Podcast. We've got an excellent episode for you this week. Uh, we've got Jessica Greathouse, and she's the special programs manager of the West Virginia Housing Development Fund. So she comes on the podcast and talks with me. And I say me because CJ actually had a jump uh, right before the episode, got pulled into a work meeting. So he had to jump off. Um, so it's a solo interview today. Um, but I do sit down with Jessica and we have an awesome conversation about, um, how do I best describe this? So without kind of getting into too much detail. So if you're in West Virginia, you've got trouble paying your rent. You've got trouble paying your mortgage. You're behind on utilities. COVID impacted you. There are programs out there that can help you financially recover from this. And you can get up to $20,000 in some type of assistance for your housing situation. Again, for your utilities, um, for problems that you're kind of experiencing, uh, financial difficulties. There are programs for you. And the biggest point that I think I had, I'm going to give it to you early, is that West Virginians were prideful folks. And sometimes we we don't feel like we can ask for help because we have such pride. And Jessica walks through amazing details about all the program nuances. And I kind of pepper her with questions and she provides excellent answers. Um, but the biggest thing is, look, if you need help in West Virginia, we want you to stay in your home. Either you might be elderly, you might be a parent, might be a neighbor, right? There's people out there in your life that odds are they could be impacted by this or in that financial situation. And they might just need a little bit of help. There's programs out there to help them. So hopefully you enjoy this episode. Before we completely jump into this episode, though, I do want to talk about briefly the Almost 7 Classic. Guys, look, you know the drill. It's absolutely rocking at this point. We've got people committing left and right. We've got Sarah Biller, Brad Smith on the podcast that are going to be there on the live podcast, uh, the networking night, the golf tournament, all of that information, June 9th and 10th is going to be on mountaineermedia.org. That's where you can buy your ticket. We want you there if you're a passionate West Virginian, if you're a business owner, if you're representing an organization, or if you just want to come hang out and meet people and have a good time in Tucker County, it's going to be the place to be this summer. So uh, we hope to see you there. As always, we've got a lot of fun um, small business partnerships from that, but also Loving Dub V, guys. There are apparel sponsor here at the podcast, and I do a lot of fun videos online. If you've seen me on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, I just did one on the history of pepperoni rolls. They've got an awesome little logo called The Food of My People. It's an awesome little logo and sticker. So I took that mantra that they created, all credit to Evan over there at Loving to V. I think it perfectly captures what the pepperoni roll actually is. And I do a deep dive on the history of that. So jump over to our TikTok, jump over to our Instagram and check that out. Uh, learn about the pepperoni roll. Um, but other than that, guys, look, I'll keep it nice, short and sweet. We thank you uh, for always listening to the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Sign up for our newsletter. That's how you're going to get exclusive deals, early head start on signups, events and all the fun stuff that we're trying to do in West Virginia this year. Um, but other than that, let's get you to this week's episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Jessica, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm well, thank you. 
Thanks for uh, thanks for jumping on. We've um, I've been spending the last couple of days educating myself on exactly the nuances of the West Virginia housing development. But it's always like to like the context set for our audience so they can kind of uh, start on the same page as I am is maybe help us understand what exactly is the West Virginia Housing Development Fund. Well, the West Virginia Housing Development Fund is a quasi-state agency. It, it kind of sits quietly uh, in amongst the, the agencies, the public agencies in the state. And it's, it's been around for a long time. In fact, it's, uh, we're in our 55th year. It was created by the legislature in 1968 to help um, provide um, a conduit for federal funds that come in to help with housing stability and provide um, low-cost, affordable housing for West Virginians. And so that's that's the premise of the agency. We have a lot of different components of the of the agency itself. We have about 135 people that work here, and each of those 135 people uh, spend their time making sure that people in West Virginia have uh, affordable places to live. Yeah, I mean, what would you what would you say the current state of housing is for low to middle income West Virginians? Is it since 68 when it's been the program started? Of course, I mean, hopefully we've seen progress since then. But what would you say? How like what's the most accurate way to kind of talk about the, the housing situation for low to middle income West Virginians? Well, the housing situation in West Virginia, West Virginia is um, just like it is across the nation. We have uh, a housing shortage in general. Um the good news is, is that West Virginians have the highest home ownership rate in the nation. Uh, so, you know, there are more West Virginians that own their, their home or the little piece of land that they grew up on uh, than other people in the across the country. Um, rental units are harder to come by. And part of the um, reason that the Housing Development Fund exists is to provide uh, the production of or building of um, affordable housing units for rent. And so uh, the program does just that and has done since 1968 and literally has created hundreds of thousands of units or um, places for people to live since the uh, agency's inception. Wow. Yeah, it's it's no small number. And how did how did you, Jessica, if you know what I'm asking, like, what's your kind of origin story? How did you get involved in with the program? Well, I've been with the Housing Development Fund for about a year and a half, and I was brought on when um, right in the thick of the pandemic, when the American Rescue Plan Act was enacted and the American Rescue Plan Act provided uh, over $300 million to West Virginia uh, to serve as emergency funding for housing. And so I was hired on as a special programs manager to not only create the two programs that were funded by this um, American Rescue Plan Act, and also to, to create the programs and then to run the programs. We knew it was going to be, these were going to be short-term programs, but something that had a huge impact to the state. And that's something that I think a lot of us, you know, we saw, you know, over the last, let's call it three years, right? With the COVID like stimulus packages and, you know, money that was sent out from the federal government. A lot of people see that number. It sounds like a big number, but then often it's kind of lost in the headlines of where that money goes to. And like you said, like not just starting the programs, but then running the program. So, and $300 million is, is quite the chunk of change. So maybe help us those two programs that you mentioned, how is that being deployed now and putting to good use for West Virginians? Well, when the uh, ARPA was was created and provided the funding to the state, uh, the first program that we launched was the Mountaineer Rental Assistance Program. That was a program that was designed to help renters who were facing a financial hardship due to or during the the COVID pandemic. And 
be able to, to keep a roof over their heads. Sure. And so West Virginia did not have an existing emergency rental assistance program. And so it had to be built from the ground up. Everything from hiring people like me to uh, create the program, building software programs, um, policies and procedures, and then putting the word out, trying to let people know that an unprecedented amount of money came into the state to help people keep a roof over their heads. And so in April of 2021, uh, that program was launched. Uh, and over the course of um, a year and a half or so, uh, $168 million of that money was given to renters and landlords to help keep uh, roofs over people's heads, their lights turned on, their heat on, uh, their water on, and um, provide some stability in an otherwise unstable time, time of year. Uh, the Mountaineer Rental Assistance Program ended as we knew it in September, uh, September 30th, because that's when the funds expired, uh, a certain bucket of those funds expired. And so all told, uh, $168 million, 45,000 um, and change applications. Uh, so we have been extraordinarily busy 24-7 uh, working to keep uh, roofs over people's heads. In your opinion, did it like help fix some of the problems or was it like temporary aid to get through people suffering from job losses and, you know, insecurity with their housing situation? Did the money, it certainly helped them bridge that gap, but do you feel like there was any permanent maybe changes that or lessons learned that maybe the state government and West Virginians in general kind of took away? Maybe that we can hopefully, even though the federal money maybe dried up, is there things that we can do now that we know to maybe prevent and you know, be proactive with the housing in West Virginia? The money definitely did fill a gap and it was it was designed to be an emergency program. It was not designed to be a long term. Um, mm -hmm. People, of course, want it to be long term. But this was this was a, an opportunity for people to get caught up. Um, anybody who applied had the opportunity to get up to 18 months of assistance, which included past due rent, current rent and up to three months future rent. It also paid for utilities. Uh, so lots of people got behind in their gas and electric water bills. Uh, we paid uh, utilities um, past due amounts. We also paid for a one-time internet stipend and that allowed people to uh, pay for internet to access government services. People who needed to apply for um, online help, whether it's uh, the emergency rental assistance or you know SNAP or TANF benefits, whichever. Um, but it, it served the, the program served its purpose in providing emergency funding. It did show us a lot of things about uh, rentership in the state. Um, there, there are a lot of renters in need. Uh, there are a lot of landlords that had gotten behind too because they their renters couldn't pay. So this was an opportunity for them to get caught up in, uh, which for many of them is their primary source of income. Others, it's you know kind of gap income also. Uh, so we helped landlords uh, get money. The other thing that, that it identified for us is that there are a lot of renters out there that um, had handshake contracts or uh, no real lease um, in, uh, for, their, for their rentals. And so it gave us the opportunity to get them in a uh, signed contract, um, a lease certification so that they actually had some uh, written record of the types of um, money they were spending for their own housing. 
What's like right now, if you're in West Virginia, you're struggling with housing insecurity, is Section 8 a vibrant like part of West Virginia? Like, can you use Section 8 housing in West Virginia? Like what what would be the go to like program to figure this? Out? I mean, I'm sure you guys now, obviously, with, with this. But I mean, what what are some of the programs that are existing on, on a permanent basis, maybe in the state? Well, Section 8 is um, a viable option, and it actually is run by the, the Housing Development Fund. So we have a program within the, the fund that manages the Section 8 housing in the state, uh, all the reporting and other um, federal guidelines that, that are, are managed. We also have the um, Federal Low-Income tax, Housing Tax Credit. We, uh, The Housing Development Fund runs that program. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, we, we go into partnerships with um, investment firms, banks, others and developers to build affordable housing. And those are those units produced that that we talk about um, the, the building of places for people to live. Yeah. What, if you don't mind me asking, what does the word gentrify mean to you as someone who works in, in this industry and space of real estate and housing and economic development? What does that word mean to you, good or bad? Um, I... I wouldn't opine on good or bad. Uh, gentrify uh, to me means that it is a a way to uh, either update or change the way a, a certain neighborhood is um, by providing um, either new businesses or housing um, in an otherwise in a place that otherwise didn't have it before. Yeah. I mean, that's the way I understand. I guess that, that term gets thrown around a lot and something that I've, I guess been thinking about in terms of um, like if you think about like the short term rental in Airbnb impact on small towns like let's say Fayetteville for example because it's kind of experiencing it seems to be in that upward boom cycle of short term rentals and second houses of folks like wealthy folks and the impact that and pressure that that puts on affordable housing for locals in West Virginia. I mean, I think like, you know, Davis and Thomas and, you know, those areas, maybe you're a little bit more baked in because it's been a destination town and, you know, area of West Virginia for decades and decades. But I've been talking to a lot of people with boots on the ground in Fayetteville and it's like locals are saying like, yeah, like now it, they're struggling to find housing because of those short-term rentals. So, I mean, I know it's always maybe a nuance with with promoting a town for, you know, for short term rentals, for tourism, for those things. And then the pressure, though, that it inherently puts on locals that might be priced out of their own town. I was just just curious if that's like a, a conversation at all within the organization or if there's anybody in the state kind of looking at that and recognizing that that could be a problem, um, you know, with, with displacing low to middle income people. It's definitely a conversation within the agency. And actually, we have recognized that it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, while we can't influence whether people, you know, rent their places out for Airbnbs, the people that have second homes and such, what we can influence is working with partners to find other affordable, find and build other affordable places. So you mentioned uh, Tucker County, Davis, uh, mm-hmm. that area. I have a good recent example, actually, of um, some some builds that we have done there. So, um, Blackwater Apartments is one of the places that we partnered on. Uh, it's in Tucker County. We know that okay. Tucker County relies primarily on tourism. Mm-hmm. And the, the folks that work in tourism didn't have a close, affordable place to live. Blackwater Apartments was one of our developments that we we created. Um, and we now have a place for people, locals, um, to live. They can They can rent out one of the apartments there. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you think of all the, the tangent related industries to tourism, like, you know, cleaning and the service industry and restaurants and stuff like that. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to build something and not have affordable housing for people that work in that um, environment. So yeah, that's huge. Is that, does that seem to be a repeatable um, framework or format in other areas maybe that are suffering from similar things like what you've done in Tucker County? We do. We repeat it um, annually. So we, we produce, you know, so many units every year. We look at places with developers uh, where we can uh, influence housing situations where mm-hmm. it's, you know, whether it's tourism or, you know, dealing with West Virginia's aging population. Uh, one of our uh, primary sources that we create is um, low in- or affordable housing that is for low income, pre- low income folks, primarily seniors. Um, we target them. We make sure that the uh, places that we build are ADA compliant so that they have a safe, sanitary place to live. It's a good point. I didn't think about that too. Is the the elderly population? I think I think West Virginia is it's worth within the top five. I think of the oldest population, and you'd mentioned that. But we also so think about that, folks listening. Think of picture that, but then also picture what you said earlier in the podcast that our state owns the most homes. So I guess to me, the picture that that paints is a lot of legacy ownerships of older individuals that are on their property that have probably always owned that property. Is that is that a challenge or, or what that dynamic, I guess, does that create the need for a more like, I guess, not apartment complexes, but more instead of like spread out, instead of like dozens of homes in a county all spread out and generally occupied by older people, is that sustainable for a new influx of people? If we're trying to grow the population and do that, it kind of seems like that that could be a, a challenge in getting new folks here is a place for them to go and stay with all that, like with, with combating that, with all that, like, I guess, legacy land ownership. That makes sense. There is a lot of legacy land ownership, and you know, folks tend to stay where they where they grew up, uh, especially yeah. in the state. Um, and we, through the Housing Development Fund, we are not only through the Homeowners Rescue Program, the pandemic program, helping, mm-hmm. for instance, a senior who has been there forever, uh, but now because of inflation and other things, can't afford their their um, taxes, their house payment. Um, their utilities, we help them out. But also another totally different part of the agency is um, promoting home ownership. So folks that are looking to buy their first home, uh, middle to um, moderate income people who have had their first home but are looking to kind of move up into a, a, a better home uh, can also go to our, um, our single family program um, and apply for a loan to get a new house. It's a good point. And I guess we should tease that out to the nuance between ownership and renting, because I think you said earlier, that's a dynamic that's playing out all across America is that the the shortage of housing is, in your opinion, is there enough investment into, I guess, construction of homes to be owned and sold? Or is it is the if you call it big money or big investment money going towards complexes, which then they can retain ownership and then rent out you know, over time to people? So is, is there an oversupply maybe of building the complexes and less of a supply of building like single family homes for people in West Virginia. Is that fair to say? I think we need a bit of both. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but Mm -hmm. um, we, we did see during the, the uh, MRAP or Mountaineer Rental Assistance Program that there is an acute shortage of, of rental uh, places and particularly in the city center. So uh, we saw 
a, a real problem in the Berkeley County Eastern Panhandle area, also mm-hmm. in Morgantown, and then also down in um, Mercer County, Princeton Bluefield areas. Uh, there's a real shortage there. People just don't have places to move, and there needs to be um, new places built or created for people to live and have affordable housing. Changing gears on you, sorry for uh, like just peppering you with questions, but um, <laughs> thinking about like when you think about the folks that are home, homeless population in West Virginia, right? Folks that do not have a job. What program, I guess, is the most direct touch with them to try to find some sort of housing for them? Is that you all? Is that another state program? And are there things being done, I guess, to maybe help folks transition from homelessness into more, you know, proper housing in the state? Well, it's not the Housing Development Fund on its own to uh, to fix the homeless uh, situation in, in West Virginia. We have community partners uh, that mm-hmm. primarily run programs that uh, get people housed, link them up with the right resources to be able to have a stable place to live um, and, and be able to pay their bills, get a job. Um, one of the partners that we worked with extensively and continue to work with is the West Virginia Coalition for Ending Homelessness. Okay. Uh, they were a partner not only in our uh, Mountaineer Rental Assistance Program, but also just generally uh, we we get federal funds uh, to help create um, housing units. We provide we're kind of a pass through agency for those federal funds, and we provide it to uh, groups like the Coalition for Ending Homelessness. There are other um, what they call continuums of care agencies in the state that we have also worked with, the uh, Wheeling Coalition for um, for ending homelessness. Also, um, there's there's just a, several around the state that we work with. Yeah, yeah, that's good to know. I didn't know the exact nuance of that. Um, I think there's much to be said too about. I'd be interested in hearing your opinion and how maybe your program helps folks with that. Because I always found, you know, renting an apartment it's quite an extensive process when you go through an application, and and it seems like it's like I, I would say landlords maybe have gotten a little bit out of hand when it's like. I have to have a first month, I have to have a security deposit, which say it's $1,000. And then your first month's rent, maybe it's $1,000. And then the last month's rent is $1,000. So $3,000. And maybe that's like two or three months before I even move into the apartment, right? And then an extensive and a background check and then a credit check. And then they call, you know, references like, and I understand like the logic behind that. I mean, landlords want to know that they've invested money into a property that their tenants are going to be able to pay them so they can pay their bills. Like I'm not, I mean, I, I, it's pretty clear that why that makes sense. But do you think that you think it's overly burdensome on folks trying to find housing is like the current, I guess, process. And that might not just be West Virginia. It might just be in America, like with trying to get a house. It's so kind of, it's tough. I mean, it's a tough, it's sometimes it's a very tough process. It is a tough process and it does. Um, it, it requires a lot of front loading of money. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we did in the uh, MRAP program is that, for somebody that didn't have a place to live and they found an available unit, we paid their first month's rent, their security mm-hmm. deposit application fees, uh, and, and three months future once we uh, had some satisfaction that they moved in there. And that was a huge help to people. You know, yeah. with that gone, you know, people now have to, to save their dollars or find a housing unit, uh, much like those that we create that have some kind of subsidy. Uh, they qualify for Section 8 housing if they have... Um, if, if they can move into one of the low income tax units, depending on uh, what their mm-hmm. uh, actual income is, that is helpful to them too. 
And I've always found it interesting that like paying rent, from my understanding, does not affect your credit, even positive, positively or negatively. Is that, I mean, is that something that, I don't know if that's something that we can ever work. I mean, like, I know if you, if you own a home and you could, you could, you can deduct like your, the mortgage interest on the home, like it, it incentivizing home ownership in the community, right? There's tax incentives to owning homes. There's various things, but really when you rent something, to my knowledge, there's not a tremendous amount of, of tax benefits or credit benefits. Is that accurate? And is that, is that, does that ever cross your mind? Like with, um, in terms of like credit scores affecting people's ability to get to get a hold, like if they've got medical debt or other past credit card debt, that might be the single thing that's like blocking them from like transitioning into being able to rent somewhere. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's a, any tax benefit to to renting, what kind of write-offs you could provide, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, it, it can affect your credit, though, if you're not paying your rent. If you're going through um, a property management company at some of these larger complexes and such, and you don't pay your rent, it can go against your credit. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we saw that was really hurting people during the pandemic was um, evictions. And when you have an eviction judgment against you, um, you've got that judgment, it, it can be a complete block to being able to get into another unit, something against your credit. It's just, it's on your record and it's tough to overcome that uh, if you've been evicted and and can't get that off your record and can't pay the the judgment. If folks are listening that know somebody or maybe they're on the landlord side of it, is there any resource for it? Like with the eviction process, is there ways to try to mediate it? Uh, without having to go through like the actual court systems like are there ways to maybe if it seems like a situation is getting bad on either the landlord side or the renter side are there ways to kind of like take a pause take a deep breath and see if you can figure out how to possibly stay in your home well one of the great things that came out of the the mountaineer rental assistance program is the partnership between the agency the program and west virginia legal aid and so legal aid um, has a contract with the agency and is providing uh, free of charge, legal help to renters that have had uh, even an, an eviction problem. If they if they've had anything that had related to housing stability that was blocking their ability to have a safe, stable place over their heads, it could yeah. be uh, you know applying for social security benefits. They don't know how to use the computer to do that. Um, it's it's working having some mediation with a landlord who um, is arguing about some. Uh, basics of their of their lease, that sort of mm-hmm. thing, or even a representation in court. So um, people can apply or go to the Legal Aid of West Virginia website. Uh, they can also call MRAP uh, for a referral if they have had some issues with the landlord uh, to be able to try to fix things. Uh, ultimately, you know, it's it's to the benefit of both the landlord and tenant if they can try to work things out between themselves and keep keep the rest of the government out of their business there. Uh, but sure. but but um, come to an agreement without having to go to court over something. It's true. Sometimes the solution is not not more government, not more, not more programs mm-hmm. that, to try to at least empower people to, to to figure it out on their own and kind of get that solution done quickly. Um, you mentioned like big cities, like it's true. Like I can imagine in rural areas, you know, it's tough to encourage people to move there. So we talked about like tourism with like if there's not affordable housing, but in you know, city centers like Charleston, Morgantown, you know, Wheeling, Parkersburg, um, you know, sometimes you do see apartment complexes go up, but they're, 
$2,900 a month for like a one bedroom, one thing is, I mean, is that just like, it's almost just like a different, and that might appeal, you know, to a young lawyer that works in Charleston, a private practice that might be affordable. That might be fine. I don't, I don't think we should maybe be careful of not painting that necessarily as a bad thing when, when nice rental places go in, but is there, I mean, there has to be, I guess, a balance of having those kind of places like that can't be the only thing available for Charleston. If I'm a young, if I'm a young, you know, professional wanting to move there and I make, you know, $45,000 a year, I can't afford $2,900 of rent that overlooks the river. And that's okay. But, but is there maybe a conversation with, with every one luxury rental, there should be in order to sustain the population, there should be at least two or three other affordable options. Like, does that dynamic, is that, does it come down to like an equation? Is that too simplistic to way to look at it like that? Well, we definitely need housing options across the board at different price points for anybody to live in. The, the housing development fund focuses on affordable housing for low income folks. So it's people yeah. that make less than uh, the average median income or the area median income. And our, our focus is primarily that, and that's why we serve as that pass-through for federal funds to partner with developers and banks to build these other units that, that do, they're available at different price points uh, within that same building. So, you know, one person might be paying $500 a month while another uh, who has a lower income and can get some credits there, you know, maybe paying a little bit less because they, um, because they don't have the ability to pay as much as one another person. Yeah. Yeah, I was just curious if they're like you all with the seat the table, like when, when you talk to big institutional investors, if, if the mindset is always to build, you know, luxury high end places because it on the paper, it maybe seems like the most quote unquote profitable, but working with them and maybe trying from the state level, incentivizing them to build, build buildings and apartment complexes and housing that is not necessarily targeted to that, but uh, still sustainable and still, I mean, they, they still have to have some sort of incentive for them to build it or they're not going to build it. Right. So, so I guess that, that does make sense. Um, what would you say drives more results? Is it always more funding? Is it leadership? Is it organization? Is it staffing? Like clearly having money and is ammo to be able to do things and, and tackle projects, but, but as funding, you know, is subject to uh, political parties and changes in, you know, public mood and, and preference of what, you know, dollars go where, what seems to be with your time there, what seems to be the things that can help drive results with this? Um, that's not, maybe, maybe let's just take out funding. That's not related to funding. What are the things maybe that, that do drive results? Well, need definitely drives results uh, for this agency. And so when, when we see a need for affordable housing in any area, then we're going to try to uh, tackle that problem as best we can. Um, I know I'm not supposed to mention funding, but we we get the funding. Yeah. Uh, and then we, we identify what funding needs to happen. And then partnerships is really at the crux of everything. And so if we can't we can't build ourselves units, mm -hmm. we need um, developers, investments, um, banks to help drive that and fill the need. It also takes great leadership. So this agency has had a history of really good leadership and vision to be able to provide affordable housing. Uh, we hold more mortgages almost than any other bank in the state. Oh, wow. And so uh, we are the creator of, of wealth in the state, really, uh, for people who buy their first home, get their first investment. That's equity. That's something that people can say is their own and uh, hold it.
Yeah, you're literally empowering people to build generational wealth. Like you are the the facilitator of them, you know, possibly moving up the the socioeconomic ladder of owning a home, passing that down, you know, you know, having sustainable funds. Wow, yeah, that's it's it's a big deal. I guess that makes sense too, the the partnerships. I guess that what that's what I was after. Like I, I tend to think in life, I mean, a lot of issues can be boiled down to communication, right? Getting the word out, the two-way street of people knowing about the program, using the program, and then and then on the other side, effectively like trans you know, putting out your message out into the world of what we do and help. So I could see where, yeah, more partnerships with banks, institutions, and making that available to people would definitely would drive results. Definitely. And it, as it relates to our West Virginia Homeowners Rescue Program, the newest pandemic-related program that we have, um, communication is key. We're trying really hard to get the word out to people, mm-hmm. uh, to get more people to apply for assistance. We have We have $50 million to spend. And we don't have a great influx of applications coming in. Um, part of it is that, you know, we, as an agency, we've helped build wealth for people, generational mm-hmm. wealth by purchasing a home. But those that have fallen on hard times, they're at risk of losing that. And they're afraid to say it. They're afraid yeah. to come to another agency and say, look, I really need help. But we have free for the taking up to $20,000 uh, for any single homeowner to um, to get caught up on their on their mortgage payments, um, five thousand dollars in taxes. We we are routinely saving people's homes on the courthouse steps by paying their past due taxes uh, to keep it from going to a tax sale, um, and uh, utility payments as well. So we um, we need to get the word out, help people keep that that wealth, keep that place that they that they hold near and dear, that they work really hard to, to uh, create, and then uh, keep it. Yeah, that's that's a big deal. I think folks listening, and again, maybe if it's not you directly impacted this, but maybe odds are you know somebody or a family friend or someone who is kind of struggling with this, like what Jessica just said, up to is it up to twenty thousand dollars for an individual who's struggling with keeping their home that they can possibly have access to? Yeah, if you're if you're sixty days at least sixty days behind, two payments behind in your mortgage payments, mm-hmm. uh, you and up to twenty thousand dollars behind, you can get. Uh, $20,000 paid on your mortgage to bring your mortgage current. Uh, for those that have the inability to, to sustain their payments, so say you're say you're behind $10,000 in your mortgage payments, mm-hmm. we could pay up to six months, six more payments of your mortgage as long as it doesn't go over that program cap. Um, the other thing that we provide is up to $2,500 in utility payments. So if you um, haven't been able to pay your electric bill and your electric's turned off, um, we can pay up to $2,500 on that and other um, utilities. We'll also pay $300 on your internet so you can still have access to those government services and then $5,000 in taxes and insurance. So you let your homeowner's insurance lapse because you couldn't pay it uh, or you haven't been able to pay your taxes and you've got the assessor's office calling you, uh, we will pay up to $5,000 in those uh, those fees. Is it? Is it good old fashioned pride that you think maybe prevents people from sometimes reaching out? Like you said, like they don't want to maybe have to admit they need the help. And is that like maybe through kind of work? Like, is it like, who is the front end when someone calls in? Are they like the counselors or the people like specialists, like have those conversations? I think maybe when people first have them, maybe that you can sense that sigh of relief, like, Oh, wow. Okay. Like I'm going to be okay. And but maybe at first they were just, I can just imagine people and just knowing the West Virginia culture and people are just kind of, you know, we're prideful folks. We want to feel like we're resilient. We can make it, we can build it, but sometimes you just simply need help. 
how have those maybe those is that how the conversation usually goes it's to kind of put maybe to rest some of those fears and anxieties around just getting help in general yes i, I definitely think that the west virginia pride really um has an impact on whether or not people ask for help. The other thing is, is it's scary. You don't yeah. want somebody look prying into your financial life to see right. why you did, why you haven't been able to pay your mortgage for the last five months. Right. Uh, but right now is just a perfect opportunity to to kind of let down your guard a little bit and mm-hmm. ask somebody for help uh, by calling into our number or going to our website just to read about the program. Uh, you have the opportunity to <clears throat> to get help if the program by itself just handing over checks to your bank to pay your mortgage isn't enough. We also partner with seven housing counseling agencies across the state. And these agencies have been in existence for a long time. They have certified counselors that will talk to you and go through your financial life with you. They'll be the liaison between you and your bank uh, to talk about what other workouts can happen besides just cold, hard cash and, and paying your mortgage. Uh, And they'll also help you develop a budget or find other ways to get you back on good financial footing uh, with the pandemic in the rearview mirror. It's amazing. And I, I am guilty of not knowing all these nuances. So, I mean, it's, it's tremendously enlightening for me. What Jessica, what would you say keeps you optimistic in this work when you, when you come to work every day? Is it, is it knowing to, you know, having that one conversation with somebody and you see their face kind of light up, they realize that they're going to be able to stay in their own home or like, what are the things that I think if you look at 2023, like what are some of the things that you're hopeful for takes, takes hold in West Virginia? Well, one of the things that attracted me to the job when I, when I applied was that it's, it's a white hat program. So it's, it's where we can come in and help people who are in a real financial bind and, and really help them at the very crux of their existence, which is housing. And so that keeps me going every day. Um, the other thing is, is this is an unprecedented time, not only the, right. with the pandemic, but the funding that has be- become available in West Virginia, $300 million in this state to provide um, housing options uh, to keep roofs over people's heads is, is amazing. And so uh, that continues to keep me going. And then, you know, we have helped 45,000 households just in the, in the um, rental program. Yeah. We regularly get thank you notes from people saying, I really appreciate the help. You know, I'm back on my feet again. I couldn't have stayed in my home or kept my kids going to the same school without your help. We really appreciate it. And then looking forward 2023, we still have a lot of money left in the homeowners rescue program to spend. So we've got about $30 million left. Uh, we've helped over 3000 households, but we want to help a lot more. So we have the capacity, uh, we have the will, and we know people need help. They just need to speak, speak up. And they can go to wvhomerescue.com, read up on things before they even pick up the phone to call us uh, just to figure out if they're eligible. Um, frankly, most West Virginians are eligible for this program. The income limits are very generous. If you're a four-person household, for instance, in Kanawha County, you can make upwards of $90,000 and still qualify the, for the program if you're behind in any of your uh, housing needs. And if you own your home outright, I, I mentioned earlier, uh, the the seniors in the state, mm-hmm. uh, you know, many of them own their homes. They don't have a mortgage payment, but they can't pay the taxes. They don't have to have a mortgage to apply for the program. They just have to have some kind of past due bill related to their housing, and we will work to pay it. 
tremendous. I mean, I imagine how fulfilling it is to work to work on this project, and you're impacting, like you said, you know, tens of thousands of West Virginians and, and doing such great work. Jessica, thank you so much. We'll we'll link everything. Um, you said it was West Virginia. Uh, say it one more time for people to go if they're if they're interested in this. It's wvhomerescue.com. That's our main um, our main page. We also okay. are very active on social media, so we have uh, Facebook pages, Twitter page, or um, a Twitter handle. Uh, we just started an Instagram feed, so people can find us on social media as well. Or you know, if you don't have internet access, give us a call. Our number for the homeowners rescue program is eight four four five four two zero zero three five, and we have agents working from eight to five every day, helping to answer questions. Um, and then if you um, also need help beyond just our program. Uh, we have great partners with United Way and 211. So give 211 a call and they can point you in the direction, whether it's back to us for assistance or to other resource agencies across the state if you have issues. Perfect, Jessica. Well, folks, you heard her. It's unprecedented times. Do not, you know, maybe set your West Virginia pride uh, aside. If you do need help, there are programs that can help you, a family, a loved one, a grandparent, uh, stay in their home in West Virginia or get access to a new home or help with renting and all the other uh, core areas that you guys help with. So yeah, Jessica, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing that with us. And uh, um, thank you for what you're doing uh, on behalf of West Virginia. Thank you, Cooper. I appreciate it. Thank you.